For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Having taken a moment to address the wives regarding their Christian duty to their husbands, it's now time for some instruction for the husbands. Let's join Pastor Ross now with the message entitled, Husbands, Love Your Wives. Alrighty, welcome you back to your seats. Let's get settled in for part B. Last week was part A of our marriage seminar of sorts because we are working our way verse by verse through Ephesians, and we're in chapter 5, which is, of course, famous uh, for addressing commands to the wife and to the husband. And so what we had is uh, virtually really a kind of a marriage seminar. Last week, directed to the wives, and this week, directed to the husbands. So we are, all the husbands made it back for part two, I see. How many of you were here last week for part A? Yes, that's exactly right. And you have returned (laughs) for the husband's portion. All right, so let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Hard things to talk about, you know, it sounds easy until you try to put it into practice and then... We find it to be a challenge. So let's ask the Lord for his help. Oh, Father, we all want healthy, strong, blessed marriages. And uh, it's challenging. Lord, we admit it. We just come before you and just say we fall short on our part, Lord. And we just pray that you'd help us through the living, breathing word of God uh, to be inspired Uh, to find some new insights and to be uh, renewed in how we approach um, the most important relationship on earth, um, marriage, our our beloved spouse, our husband, or our wife. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's always nice to hear a feel-good story in a world where that's not always the case. A headline several months ago now... uh, Husband saves wife's life by donating his kidney. Well, it's a story that we have heard before, but this one just has an endearing twist to it. Uh, The gal's name who needed the kidney, Tracy Spragans, and uh, she had lupus, and uh, the lupus destroyed both of her kidneys, and she was put on a seven-year-long waiting list. And uh, that was going to be hard because in her case, she was on dialysis eight hours a day, six days a week. And when they said seven years long, it was just not doable. And so the husband said, hey, check check me out and maybe you can use one of my kidneys. Turns out it was a perfect match and they got all excited. However, he was disqualified because of weight issues and blood pressure concerns. And they said, hey, if your blood pressure is a certain number, then you would qualify. Well, he walked out of the doctor's office and, and went straight to a gym, signed up. He went home that day, cleaned out his refrigerator and his cupboards, and they went to Whole Foods. <laughs> 
I made an exercise um, daily routine. It became a part of his life. And one year later, he walked back into the doctor's office 100 pounds lighter and said, I'd like you to take my blood pressure today. And he took the blood pressure, and it was normal. And they signed him up. Praise the Lord, amen. It's a, I told you it was a feel-good story. And, you know, she was able to uh, get off of all those medications and allowed her to. And the lupus was reversed because of the new kidney. And, and so now life is just good. I think I have another photo. Life is good for the Spragans, you know. And so, listen, they asked him, hey, to the, about losing weight and changing his lifestyle and the sacrifice and the risk involved in the surgery. And he said, you know, sacrifice? Seriously? You're calling that a sacrifice? Risk? Honestly? It wasn't sacrifice. It wasn't effort. It wasn't difficult. It's called love. And all the women said, oh, right. It said amen. That was all right. Now, I was thankful when I read this again. I was just thankful for an opening introduction (laughs) to what the text is calling for. And what the text is calling for is summed up right there perfectly. Husbands. Love your wives in a self-sacrificing way. And so the text is going to hit hard at that point uh, here as we take a look. Let me give you some context. The Apostle Paul, uh, prompted by the Holy Spirit, of course, whenever you see here, Paul said so-and-so, the Holy Spirit has chosen those apostles to speak through them. And so what we have is not the word of man. We have the word of God. And so the word of God uh, has been there speaking to us about this new life. He said, now, when you were in the world in unbelief, you did things a certain way, a sinful way. But when you came to know Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your heart and life and you do things differently. So that moral transformation is a process and it takes some time and cooperation. It's not you trying to be good to earn God's love. It's that God made you alive inside and now as a response of obtaining what you could have never earned, now there's a goodness that flows in your behavior from that. And that's the only kind of goodness that counts. One that is responding to having received uh, God's love. And so he's been talking about how do you go from darkness to light and from the old ways to the new ways to the individual. And he was saying things like, hey, you know, since you've been born again, uh, if you were stealing things, now that you're born again, you need to stop stealing and uh, do away with that part of your nature and then turn to God and embrace the power of the Holy Spirit to work hard with your hands so that you'd have something not to take from somebody but to give. So it's a change of heart. Now he's turned from the focus of individual lives to relationships that all Christians inevitably find themselves in in some season of life. There are now three relationships that he's going to talk about. He talks about husbands and wives, which we saw last week. He started with the ladies, ladies first. 
And now we're uh, looking at the husbands. And then next chapter, he's going to talk about parents and children, employers and employees. So he's basically been saying, God put social structures in place uh, to give people oversight and responsibility to care for, and on either end, you have an obligation. If you're on the end of receiving the care, that there are certain instructions for you. And if you are on the end of being delegated of a position of uh, accountability to God to show that caring love and oversight, then you have some instructions for you. And so this is how it's been going. And now, so uh, we, we saw uh, last week that he began by addressing uh, the wife. And here's what he said to the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, if you miss that, um, it's important because it kind of goes with what's going to be asked of the husbands. Because when the husband loves the wife in the way that he's commanded, it makes it a lot easier for her to yield and trust his leadership in the home. And so uh, we went through this veritable minefield last week without any major uh, (laughs) uh, injuries, I should say. Um, If you missed it, there were a lot of details, explanations, a few jokes tossed in for to lighten the mood what it means, what it doesn't mean, and are there a common sense exceptions? Yes, of course, and all of that available on the website or uh, on the app as well. Uh, in summation, we summed it up with the ballroom dance where both partners of equal worth with valuable insight and her dreams being shared, they become one, but in the end, Somebody is leading, somebody's responsible, and it would be the husband to lead and the wife to follow. And, and, and if both of them are, are, are leading, it's just going to be an ugly scene on that dance floor. Uh, but if she's following and he's leading and the way that God has asked, boy, what a beautiful dance that uh, will be. And so the Lord really says to the wife in that long passage, or short passage actually, um, says, asks of the wife, would you let him, your husband, please do let him do what I've asked him to do. And what was that? Well, here it is. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. This is what Christ has done for the church. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one's ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, which is his body, for we're members of his body. And now Genesis 2 is quoted, the creation account. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This is a profound mystery. But here I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. There is the entire T of our text for reflection this morning. It does break down quite easily. Um, now, last week, we joked around a little bit about the brevity used to explain the wife's role. You know, he just says, ladies, I need you to yield to your husband's leadership, and here's why. Period. Done. And then he gets the guys on the line, and we need two slides, right? Because <laughs> there's a lot of information. Husbands, this is what I want you to do. This is why I want you to do it. Here's the argument for doing it. Here's a little motivation. Here's an example of what it looks like. You know, he just knows guys, you know. And just need a little bit, uh, you know. Wives are multitaskers. They can handle it, you know. The guy just needs a, a little bit of patience, amen. A little bit of patience. So the duty of the husband here. Now, you know, let me just start out with a little humble confession. All right. Uh, somebody was asking me, which is harder, last week or this week? Well, I, for, in some ways, last week, we're, you're dealing with ladies, and, and I'm a man, and I'm seeing what se- sounds a little bit hard, and sometimes you would think that's hard, uh, and it is, but... This week is hard because for an hour, I'm talking about the ideal husband, and I've been married 30 years, and my wife is sitting right over there, right? <laughs> so last, yesterday, we were out running errands, and, and, and so I just got her some flowers, and, and I brought it into the car, and, and, and she said, oh, my favorite color, and I said, I know, because I pay attention to those things. <laughs> and then I said, she goes, so what, what, what is this for? And I said, honey, tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to feel so bad after talking for an hour two times about what an ideal husband looks like, and you're sitting there, and I'm going to feel so bad, I'm just going to give you the flowers right now. <laughs> Oh, and then she says to me, oh, honey, you are the ideal husband. And, and I just thought, oh, there it is right there as you are sensitive and putting your own needs aside. And you, it's an investment and out comes something that builds me up as well, even though it's not true. <laughs> That's okay. Those lies are okay. They're not, they're not <laughs> really lies. Okay. <laughs> Woo, moving on. All right, so here you go. Let's break it down. And note takers, it goes fast. It's going to be a command, a qualifier, an example, an argument, and a restatement. So it's going to be a simple command, the not-so-simple qualifier of that command, a selfless example, the logical argument, and a summary statement. Okay, let's start with the command. What I want you to see... Husbands, love your wives, and there's the commandment to love her. Now, it seems like a no-brainer until he's going to qualify it, right? I mean, it seems easy, and it's like, duh. I mean, why else did I marry her? But when you find out what biblical love is, therein 
lies the challenge. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, what Paul, the Holy Spirit, is stressing through Paul is not the husband's authority over his wife, but uh, his love for her. You see, we think of authority with blue flashing lights and uh, bossy people and abuse. That's when we hear the word authority. Uh, it's not a pretty word. When God uses the word authority, he means servant, humble, looking out for somebody's good, laying aside their own interests for the sake of the job he gave them to care, to displace his own his own wants and desires. That's when he, that's the kind of authority God is thinking. So the first thing is his authority is defined by terms of loving responsibility. And he says, husbands, love your wives. Uh, Now, it's a sacrificial love as we're going to see. And it's easier to love our wives in a sacrificial way in an act of heroism, okay? So for example, you know, uh, to take a bullet for my wife, In a heartbeat, any guy in here, any good guy, is going to say, that's not a problem. In a heartbeat, I'd step out in front of anything that was going to harm my wife. That's not the hard part, you know. Uh, I'll give you a kidney, right? But don't take the remote, all right? (laughs) So uh, the thing about about (laughs) being a hero is, is that this sacrificial life, you know, uh, it, 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 he's calling for every day, 24-7. That's the attitude that you approach, taking the bullet in daily matters, you see? And so, yeah, I would take a risk on the operating table for Barb like that. But if we're at the dinner table and... You know, she needs something. She needs some help with the dishes. You know, there's going to be a big roll of my eyes, you know. Not not always, you know. If it's her birthday, you know, I'll consider it, right? Uh, Or or if I need something, right? I I mean, (laughs) I'm just being honest. This is church. I have to be honest. All right, and so, yeah. Uh, but you know what? I'll lay down my life for you, but don't ask me to lay down my pride and say those little words, I'm sorry. I'll lay down easy to die for you. Then why is it so hard when he says every day, I don't want you to think of this physically to die. I want you to die to your sinful, selfish every day in matters like, you know, let me get this for you. Let me, you first, dear. And it's not about what I need tonight. It's about what you need. Those, that's why it's so hard. And he's kind of, it seems like he's asking the impossible. And he is. He is because natural man cannot do the things God requires. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So unless you've been reconnected with God through something Jesus calls being born again, these commands, it's just useless. You'll try, you'll, be, you'll, you'll do good for a weekend, but Monday morning, uh, it's not going to be pretty, should I say. So helpful insights about these commands. First of all, there's some implication. There are his, her to his, her commands, all right? To the woman, what does it say about the woman? Well, 
the woman's job was to come under and let him lead and to uh, appreciate his care. Now, the woman's problem is that her natural desire is not to do that, but to take charge. And we saw that the Lord said that to Eve after the fall. He said, dear Eve, from now on, you're going to fight the propensity and the proclivity, I should say, to, to take charge of him, to manage the marriage. But unfortunately, that's going to cause some problems because that's his role. So she said, he said, that's going to be a problem. Thus, the command, right? Because he's commanding her to do something that's not natural, usually, and uh, that she doesn't want to do. Now, what, uh, because, how about the husband? What does it say about the husband's weakness when he's saying, I want you to love in a, in a self-sacrificing way? It's saying that by default mechanism, we are selfish by nature. And so he's saying that I want you, because to love in a sacrificial way is to be other-centered, so what he's saying, and you don't give commands to people who are already doing it, loving it, and because it's their second nature. You give commands to, to, because we don't want to do it and we're not good at it, right? And so what we're not good at is, is putting other people first, like our wives. And so he says, husbands, listen, here's the command. I want you to um, be other-centered 24-7, and generally speaking, you know, always have that attitude toward your wife. Now, I, I suppose if you look at a little girl toddler and a little boy toddler, and, and you, you take their first words out of their mouths would kind of let you know what the struggle is going to be, you know? Um, the little girl says, you're not the boss of me, right? And, and the boy says, mine, all right? So now we see that's going to grow up to, you're not the boss of me, and mine, me first, me, me, me. That's the problem. So God has to command us to our cores and our natural disinclination to obey and to be somebody who is a blessing who comes alongside and under and allows leadership, leadership and the other side to love the way God wants us to love. And so... Thankfully, the gospel is we get a new nature, we get a new heart, you know. Uh, John 14, 17 says that I'll send you a helper. He, the Holy Spirit's called a helper. Why is he a helper? Because we can do anything. God gives the command and he enables us. The same God who commands us is the God who enables us to do that commandment. And so John 14 it says, he'll be with you, the helper will be with you, and he'll be in you. And really, the Christian life is all about learning to call on that helper and to die to self so that he can do the things that we can't do. So he says, uh, husbands, uh, love your wives. There were four choices in Greek to, for that word, that command to love. Now, the word, uh, he did not use the word eros, which is the desire, uh, the passionate a desire for intimacy. Now, oh, why didn't he use that word? Well, because we don't need a command for that. <laughs> we need a command to control that, but we don't need a command for that kind of natural desires or intimacy. I'm being real, right? Okay, moving on. And then the second word, he doesn't say the affectionate word of Thalia, which is 
like a friendship word. He's not saying that. That's easy enough, right? Or, and then, uh, or storge is the affection within families. Uh, all of that is included, but that's not the command. The command is agape. Now, agape didn't exist until the, the gospel came. And New Testament writers coined the word agape, and it became a word for unconditional love. It's the way God loves. Husbands, lay all the other loves aside. What I want you to do, those loves will fall into their right places as you exercise agape love. Agape love is unconditional love. It loves for the sake of loving. It wants nothing in return. It doesn't love hoping to get back. And it can love because it's an act of decision. It is not feelings-based. Therefore, it can love the unlovely. And it can, when it's struck here as an insult here, it can turn the other cheek. It can go the extra mile. It can go on and on with bad behavior. It never fails because it's God's love and it's an act of the will and it's a decision. So ladies, if your man is agape loving you, you will never hear him say, you know what, I don't think I love you anymore. That's worldly, warm, fuzzy love, right? That's not what the Bible defines as love. Love is an act of the will where you are patient and kind and you know what, you can turn the other cheek and you'll walk up a hill with a crossbeam on your back after they flogged you and stripped you. And you'll walk up that hill holding that crossbeam, and then you will lay down without a word and let them crucify you for the sake of the beloved. And you'll bleed out happily. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was reviled, he did not revile back. He was insulted, he didn't say, oh yeah, well you're gonna be sorry when I come back, you know. <laughs> and they are, but, but, but he didn't say that, right? Now, that's what he's looking at. That's, that's, that's the hard part, that's the hard part. Now the qualifier, this is the qualifier here. As Christ loved the church. Well, what did he do for the church? He went up that hill. It's called Calvary love. Husbands, I want you to Calvary love her. All the time. Every day. This is how you're going to get a wife to respond to you and trust you. This is what's necessary. You lead the way. You die to your own selfish thoughts. You put her first. Uh, you know, here's the Lord, God in a human body. Behind those brown eyes, according to Christ's words, he is equal to God in every way. John 14, 9. Anybody seen me? Seen God the Father. Philip says, hey, show us the Father. He says, have I been with you so long you don't recognize me? God in an earth suit. That's who Jesus is. He is the God-man. And the God-man comes and says, you want to know my mission statement? It's not to be served as God, he's saying, but to serve. And then he does things like wash dirty feet, do the job nobody else wants to do. And he's saying, this is what I'm expecting of you husbands. 
to, to lay down your rights, your desires? What if Jesus stopped for, for 10 seconds and said, what about me? We'd all be in our sins. We wouldn't be going to heaven. What if he said, this is how you treat the Son of God? Well, you know what? Maybe I'll change my mind on this. No, see, agape love, he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life away. For who? For you, for me, for the church. And so what does that look like? He's saying, husbands, this is what I want. Continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wives. Here's how it might look. Everyday example, okay? It's been a long, hard day for you guy out there, whatever it is you do. You come home, you're beat. You're on your way home. Your supervisor, you know, he drove you crazy. The customers were demanding and rude. Nothing went wrong. Nothing went right, I should say. Everything went wrong. You got a ticket on the way home. And you know one of those that really sting? The 35 miles per hour in a 25 mile per hour zoo. I'd rather get a ticket for 120 than, than just, what are you kidding me? 35 in a 25? Who would even notice that except you, uh, apparently, and your little gun there? And then, so I was going on and on like this, and my eyes met Jerry, Officer Jerry, last service, and he's looking at me like, and then I said, what I meant to say is, those officers are doing a wonderful job out there. And 35 is way too fast in a 25 mile an hour. Oh, man. Okay, so you're all upset, and you're hungry, and you're irritated, and you're like, oh, you know, you didn't kick the cat, but, you know, you thought about it. You get to the door, you open the door, and she's chasing around, screaming babies. She's got half her makeup on, because that's all she managed to do. She, she doesn't look her best, you know. Uh, there are messes everywhere, dinosaurs and toys and trucks upside down, and you step on one of them, you know. Uh, piles of dishes, and it smells like the dishes have been in there for a couple days, you know? And, and, and you know what you do? When you are a God-fearing man of God, you rope up that shirt. It says an S there for super husband. All right, and this is what you do. You go over and you, you hug your wife. You say, oh, man, I'm so good to be home. I'm so glad to be home. It's so good to be home. And one of the little uh, crazies is running through your legs, you know. And so you get down and you do this distraction. You go on all fours and you scream out, hop on pop. And, and they all come running. They pile all over you. And your wife is like, oh, I'm free. I'm free. <laughs> and she doesn't know what to do at first, right? And so you say, honey, and she goes off to the kitchen like, you must be hungry. And no, honey, call Chinese, call for Chinese to be delivered. And, you know, don't worry about it. And so they both put them in the bathtub. They go through all of that. Uh, they both put them down. They don't euthanize them. <laughs> they think about it. <laughs> they put the kids down. And the husband says, honey, come on, let's go to the sink. And the husband says, let's do these dishes, rolls up his sleeves and say, man. And they start to share about their day. And he talks about 35 miles, no, an hour. 
and he's talking and they're laughing a little bit and they're just talking about the cute things that they did because he doesn't have an agenda. He's not sulking. He's not mad because he walked in and jettisoned him because his job by God is to make her the center, to put her needs first, to walk in and say, dear Lord, I've got a rescue, right? And, and so he goes into that mode. Right? And so what happens? They do the dishes. They're exhausted. They go to bed. They fall asleep in each other's arms. He says a 30-second prayer praising God, and they fall asleep with smiles on their faces. They wake up. They do it again. (laughs) There is a joy in cross-bearing. There is a joy. When you're saving the day for someone you love, there's joy in that. And now he could have come in and gone, open the door and go, oh, here we go again. I had taken out the garbage, mad about it. It smells in here. What have you been doing all day? Like, well, can't you imagine by looking what she's been doing all day long? Oh, my word. You can either turn that into that beautiful time because, gentlemen, those are your sweetest moments. You will never have them again. And they're beautiful. And you're making the memory now. Either you walked in as a self-centered little junior high boy with a bad attitude. Me, me, me. Where's the hot dinner? Where's the hot dinner? If I were her, I would have smacked you one. (laughs) Where's the hot dinner? You want a hot dinner? (laughs) Come on. You have the power to either make that a beautiful, fun, sweet memory or a disaster of bitterness and resentment and hurt feelings. And that leads to the path of divorce and separation instead. I love this quote. It says, whether it's the wife deferring to her husband or the husband deferring to his wife, denying Self for the sake of love never leaves you impoverished but only enriched. Every single time, every single time you say, Not me right now, them. Every single time, uh, there's a reward in that, there's a blessing in that. Let's look at Jesus' example now. This is what he did for his wife, his bride, the church. He gave himself up for her for a reason. Here's the example of what he did uh, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Well, that makes sense for the church. The spiritual application for a normal day husband is a little bit harder to understand, but let's understand the first context is what Jesus did for the church. Now, when you become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knits all born-again Christians' hearts together in something called the church. Now, Everybody who's truly saved in this building, who truly has had a born-again experience, that spirit is connected to every single one on the planet who's been called out of this world. That's what the word church means, called out. Called out of this world and gathered together in Jesus. That's the church for whom he died. Now, 
we're also joined together as a church to our Lord Jesus Christ in a manner that's, that's really similar to the way a husband and wife are joined together. So that has some really intriguing uh, implications. And so in the New Testament, he calls himself the bridegroom, and we're the church, are, we're called the bride. And it, and it works in certain ways to help us understand that we have made, we've been pledged to be married eternally or in union with God, you know, that we are going to be eternally provided for and cared for in this way. And in fact, there's a wedding celebration at the end of Armageddon. You find this beautiful scene in Revelation 9 that says the wedding supper of Jesus, the wedding supper of the Lamb, right? And it says blessed for everybody who goes to that wedding, right? And so in this analogy, the, the, the Lord is doing a sanct... His love has a sanctifying effect on us. In other words... He, in our case, he removed our sins, he washes us clean, right, and makes us right, puts us right, and then he's morally transforming us. Now, how does this transfer to what a husband does? Well, what a husband does, he's saying, is really, husbands, your love has a purifying effect in the home that you bring, because of your love, a moral goodness to her, you allow her to grow. In fact, I have, a, I have a quote that's really beautiful. It says it better than I can. Here's the quote. Now, the application here is, through the husband's nurturing love and attentive care, he allows his wife to grow in grace and beauty, to become the person God created her to be. Sacrificial love is the kind of environment that helps her to blossom in character with a gentle and reverent spirit which is of great worth in the eyes of God. It creates a home where respect for him comes easy and where good deeds and righteousness and kind acts abound. So in short, his treatment of his wife will either promote moral goodness in her and the home or hinder it. So, husbands, he's saying, the way you love your wife, you're, you're just promoting goodness in her. You're beautifying the home and her. You're going to, 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 as Christ does to us, bring out the best in her. That's the spiritual application of relating what Christ does for the church and what a husband's love does for the bride. And now he does this beautiful argument. He gets logical with the guys. And he says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's the argument. Duh, he's saying, God. guys, when you invest in this way, at first you're thinking 24-7, all about her, all the time. Oh, that's going to be hard and painful. No, he's going to say it's an investment in your own sanity, A. Eh? <laughs> and it's an investment in your own happiness and well-being. You will be blessed as you put her first because if you don't, you're injuring yourself. So here's what he's saying. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his own body. So he's going to say, listen, for this reason, in quotes Genesis 2, for this reason, 
a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh in God's eyes. He says it's a profound mystery. Body, soul, and spirit, you're no longer two. Mr. and Mrs. Ross Reinman. One time a guy comes up to me after a wedding and goes, oh, you forgot to mention the bride's first name. No, I didn't. That's how we used to do it. We used to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in public, it's my privilege to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Uh, George and Mrs. George and, you know, uh, (laughs) I'm trying too busy thinking about whose name I'm going to use in there. (laughs) You get it. One of them has to, you know, one comes under, right? You have one. So he's saying, whatever you do to the other, you do to yourself, good or bad. Whatever, if you're blessing and you're giving, and you're encouraging, it'll come back to you because guess what? You are together as one. And if you are so foolish that you're going to isolate or ignore a part of your body that's hurting, it's your own body that's hurting when your wife is saying, I'm hurting. Well, you know, if you had a tooth, sir, are you going to ignore that tooth? Are you just going to ignore it, ignore it like most guys do? Most guys do. Have you been to the doctor to see, see about that pain? You know, oh, forget about it, right? That's how we are. We don't want to go to some other guy we don't know who's going to ask us questions and do things that, <laughs> no, thank you, right? We don't want to do that. Well, it's to your own peril, man, because that little thing can become a big thing. And so you're going to just say, oh, I'm not talking to her. I'm cutting her off right now, right? You know what you're doing? You put a little band on, on your finger and not allow that to get the blood and the oxygen flow and all of that, your finger will die. It's called gangrene. And, and that will kill you. That will kill you. That's the text. The text is saying, watch out. Because in the moment, and this works both ways, ladies, I hope you're listening. It works both ways, because if you are doing something to hurt a little bit, payback, right? So you're withholding something, and it feels good at the time. It feels good. Well, you, you did this, so you're not getting that. And you said that's so I'm going to, right? But what you're, I'm going to do is you're shooting yourself in your foot, even though you temporarily feel like, oh, I'm just exercising a little pushback. He says, you're slapping yourself across the face because she's part of you. You have to invest in her. You can't ignore something like that. You know, and that's how we are. He says, no one, here's the argument. No one hates himself. No one hates his own life, his own body, but you take care of yourself. And that's so true. Nobody really hates themselves. We love ourselves. Uh, We want the best portions at the table. We're hoping that no one takes too much before us because we got our eye on the plate as well, most of the men anyway. We want the best portion of the will that's left behind. Uh, We want the best possible uh, position at the table or the most comfortable chair on the plane or the uh, first dibs on the promotion or when there's a photo, come on, of a group, 
where does your eye go? Your eye goes to look to you and your face. Did you come out okay? So, you know, the key about loving ourselves, and Jesus said, love others as you love yourself. It's not a compliment. He's saying with the same self-interest and intensity that you're always taking care of self and looking out for number one and me, 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 right? I want you to just direct that self-centeredness and love to others. Love other people the way you adore yourself. Amen? I didn't write that. That's Jesus' idea. And so when we do that, we're supposed to do that with our wives. So, look, gentlemen, to starve her <laughs> of affection is to starve yourself. And, and it works both ways. So husbands, when you assert yourself rather than serve your wife, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Because why? She's your other half, right? And wives, when you're unwilling to respect and yield and care for his needs, you're, you're tearing down your own house uh, with your own hands. He's your other half. Now, kind of making our way toward a conclusion here, First uh, Peter chapter 3, Peter has some words for husbands, and he says, now in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker, she has vulnerabilities, the weaker partner, and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Catch that, gentlemen. God's saying, you want me to hear your prayers? Then treat your woman accordingly, or your prayers will be hindered. Because I'm not interested in hearing and answering your prayers when you're not taking care of the woman that I gave you and the responsibility that I expect from you. So interesting, Peter uses a word, consider. Be considerate when you live with your wife. The Greek says, learn her. Learn her. It means to know in an intimate way, to, to lift something up and look at it and examine it and study and understand it. Now, this is going to be a challenge for most men, right? Because, ladies, you've told us you don't understand yourselves. So it's very hard <laughs> for us to figure you out, but, uh, you know, we're called to do that. You know, we're very different. We just, I mean, I, I just read this cute little thing. A husband was reading the newspaper. He told his wife, this article says that a woman speaks 30,000 words a day while a man only speaks 15,000 words. And the wife responds, that's because we have to say everything twice. <laughs> and the husband looks up and goes, what? So we're, we're very different. We're wired differently. And gentlemen, let me save you years of therapy. Learn her. Learn her. My father-in-law just was very challenging because he was a good husband. And my father did not teach me how to be a good husband, but how really not to be. And her father was just a dream. Uh, he would say, oh, son, he used to call me son. Son, I just want to tell you, nothing gives me greater joy than to see Betty Joe light up like a Christmas tree. And he goes, just live for that, whatever. I, and he was that way. Oh, man. And, he, 
and he reaped the benefit of having that. I was like looking for an artificial Christmas tree after that. I mean, I don't know. I'm just like, wow, that's awesome. But, you know, eventually I, I began to learn, you know. It took a few years, you know. Uh, but just the other day, she caught me doing something good. I did something good. Listen, I looked at her and I go, what's wrong? She looked so sad. She goes, I'm just feeling sad. And I'm like, what happened? You know, because, and she started crying. What happened? What did I do? And she goes, oh, you didn't do anything. Okay, what's wrong? Did you get a text or something? She goes, oh, it's nothing like that. She goes, I just think I need to cry. Why? <laughs> Why? When we cry, there's been a death in the family, right? Uh, or we had to put the dog down, right? Or the truck, the truck died, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm trying. There, I, your tears make us very uncomfortable. We just want to stop this tragedy that's unfolding, especially when you start not giving us a reason. Now we can't even fix it, right? And so, because you don't know what the problem is either. So, so I just, I'm like, I'm getting that panic feeling like I gotta fix it, I gotta fix it. And I went, Oh, honey, come here. You just need a hug. And so I walked over there, and I put my arms around her there. Honey, it's going to be okay. I love you. You're doing a good job, you know? Listen, yeah, ladies, right? Did I do the right thing? Thank you. 13 years. No, 13 years in my marriage it took, maybe. Okay, 30. Oh, listen, I'll tell you what, that set a very nice tone for the rest of the day and into the evening. Everything was nice. Why? Instead of going, you know, you're crying for no reason. You don't know why. Okay, I'm calling a counselor. <laughs> you know, I'm going to call a therapist, you know, or, you know, oh, I just hate it when you break into, you, you see, no, what's agape love right there? Agape love is, honey. Oh, okay, here, it's going to be okay. It's all right. You can cry. It's all right. You see, that just doesn't come natural to us. Here's, uh, but it better. I mean, <laughs> husbands, don't even try to fix anything when she's crying. She, her, she's saying to you, listen, learn. She's saying to you, I need a hug. I need some affirmation. I need, to I need to see that you care about me right now. I don't care about the problem that's making me cry. I just want to see that you care about me, you notice me, you love me, and you're there for me. All right? Learn that, guys. Learn it. Oh, and if you're thinking, what about me? You know, that's the problem right there. Well, what about you? You do have needs, but the way to get them is not to read the book that says, here's a man's need, one, two, and three, right? And then you walk in the door, and instead of being the super dad and the super husband, you're, you got your book. I've got needs. One, two, and three, one, two, and three, one, two, and three. Oh, burn that book. Take her book, one, two, and three, and walk through the door and go, well, I got a one, two, and three. And then you'll get your one, two, and three. That's the way it works. Just be quiet. <laughs> Come on, guys. Come on. 
you can do this. It requires listening. <laughs> like, uh, one, one lady, Reader's Digest, I got to tell you this. Uh, she says, I got so mad at my husband, I decided to give him the silent treatment for a week. And after a whole week, my husband comes up to me and says, look at how good we're getting along lately. <laughs> He's not listening. <laughs> All right, here's the summary statement. And with this, I close. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. And he's already told us what that looks like coming and yielding to him and providing that care that he's looking for and admiration of him. So uh, Pastor Damien Kyle, he pastors, he's been pastoring about 30 years in Modesto, Calvary Chapel there, and he did a marriage talk, and I'm quoting him now. Uh, Beautiful insight about this. Here's what he says. He says, from time to time in 30 years, I've sat with couples in my office, and it's a mess. Whole years of hurt feelings and bad communication skills and blaming each other and unforgiveness and little petty things here and petty things there. And he just thinks, I just am so overwhelmed. I look at them and say, listen, all of this complicated mess is because of two commands that are broken. Sir, you've broken one, and ma'am, you've broken the other. Husbands, love your wives in a sacrificial way. Are you doing that? Yes or no? Well, if she, no, sir. Yes or no? Are you disobeying God's command? Yes or no? Well, she... Answer the question. Yes. So you're disobeying God's command. Yes, well, if she... You are disobedient to a command. Ma'am, are you disobeying what God has asked you to do? Well, I would, but... Ma'am, I'm asking you, are you disobeying a command to you? Yes, I am. Well, as soon as you two get around to decide to obey the one command he's given you in this marriage, you will find that all the other things will come with some work into place. But start with the command you're breaking, sir. And so when you leave my office, you go out not thinking about how to fix her and how she has to obey her command, but why you haven't obeyed his command, what that means to your relationship with God, that you're a commandment breaker, and to your marriage. And work, if you do go to a therapist, tell the therapist, I'm breaking commands, and I'm ruining the marriage, and I'm part of the problem because I am breaking a command and falling short. I'm the problem. Oh, I have never heard this, never once. I hope you'll be the first. Come on in, make an appointment. (laughs) I've never had a guy and a gal sitting on the couch ever say, okay, so what's the problem here? And one, one goes, Oh, I'm the problem. And the other one goes, no, 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 I'm the problem. And they break into a fight over it. No, I said, I'm the problem. See, you do this all the time. No. (laughs) You'll never get that. Why? Because we always think, who's the problem? Always, every single time. My needs, my needs, my needs. As soon as I hear my needs, I just know the unholy trinity is present. (laughs) Me, myself, and I. Watch out for that. 
It's terrible. And so, in summary, he's saying, here's the cycle really quick. Uh, here's the crazy cycle. Listen, without feeling loved, your woman is going to react without respect. You're going to feel disrespected, and you're going to react without love then she's going to feel that you don't cherish or appreciate her. So she's going to act in disrespectful ways. And you're going to feel disrespected. And so you're going to act mean or unkind. You're not going to be loving. And this goes on for uh, on until you're old and gray and wrinkled and to your deathbed. I've seen it. Because not one of them and the Lord is calling the husband to be the first to change. With or without her ever coming around. You just change. The onus of this is on the guy, biblically. I mean, either one. And then when the guy will say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm just going to treat her in loving ways. It'll break the cycle. And then with his love, she's going to be motivated to respect every single time. Every single time. You love somebody sacrificially every single time in a perfect world. <laughs> uh, there's a response. There's a response. And then she respects. And then he feels respected. And he wants to love some more. And then she's feeling that love. And she wants to respect even more. And this, this, this energized cycle happens. Let me close with this illustration a couple that I had been counseling in marriage counseling. This was about uh, 2001, because I know what, what year, because I had my chemotherapy, radiation, and bone marrow transplant. So even though I was sick, I couldn't be in an office. I told them, I can still counsel you. I had chemotherapy today, um, but come on over, and I've got a nice comfy couch I can relax, and I'll listen to you guys, and I'll talk. And they said, yes, it's that bad. We need you. So here's this, this couple comes to my home, and they sit there, and they're doing their thing, tearing each other apart and just arguing and bickering and, and self-absorbed and quarreling and a lot of dumb stuff, really dumb, like D-U-M dumb. <laughs> and so... She's saying, you know, he's still, you know, last week we talked about the wet towels on the floor. And, and you know what? Today, what was I jumping over? Wet towels on the floor. The toilet seat up, up all the time. So you know what I did? I just slammed it down loud. And then he goes like this, you know, and I just thought, oh. Poor guy. And then he starts up. He starts up with that she just nagging me to the bone. She just, nothing I do is right. And she's nitpicking. And, you know, she doesn't like my dog. My dog sheds all over the place. Well, he does shed. And who's the one who has to vacuum it? And do you get it? Okay, maybe a little too close to home, some of you. Uh, doesn't like to play tennis with me, and I just let them go on, slice and dice each other, sarcasm, contempt, unkind words. I let them run out. Quite frankly, I was just a little tired of hearing it. So I had nothing to say. They weren't listening to me anyway. So I sat there looking, and then it just, just kind of petered out, and they both looked at me. And I said, oh, I have something for you. Now, hold, hold with me on this. I said, one of you needs to be diagnosed with a tumor. And I said, listen, 
You both need to go in and the looks on their faces, I had their attention. Well, here I am in chemotherapy. You both need to be called into the doctor's office. And he needs to say, you know, to one of you, you have cancer. It's pretty serious. We're not sure that we're going to be able to stop it. Uh, we're going to try. Let's do this. Suddenly, sir and ma'am, you're going to find out what you loved about that person, why you married that person, all the good things that you're going to be without, that you find endearing. You found endearing. You used to think those things were beautiful. Somehow they've turned into ugliness and caused a lot of fights. But now when you hear, we may not be able to save her, sir, She's going to have to have some sort of radical surgery to distort her entire body. And then maybe chemotherapy, and then maybe we'll save her, sir. Or him. I guarantee you, you will stop the nonsense. They might not be able to stop the progression of the disease, but I'll guarantee you what will stop. You'll stop your nonsense, your bickering over wet towels. A day will come when you long for a wet towel on that floor. A day will come when you would just wish if I could just hear her nagging me today, I would kiss her feet. Right? Or at least two days. All the importance, I mean, I'll tell you what, we were married, I don't know how many years at the time, 20, 20 years, 20 years, 18, 20 years. We just cried, cried together. I was asking, well, are you going to remarry? Would you remarry? What are we going to do? What are you going to do? Where are you going to live? We didn't care about wet towels or toilet seats or you said this and that. You don't really feel like that. None of that mattered. We cried and held each other. When I was at UCSF for two months in a hospital bed, who was laying on the floor next to me? We cried ourselves to sleep and we cried waking up and looking at each other. And we laughed too. But we just held and cried and cried all the bad juju out of us. I don't know what juju is. <laughs> but we cried it out. And as a result of coming through that baptism of fire, and God said, I'm going to give you remission. And I've been cancer-free for 14 years, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Praise God. But you know what it left me? It left me a little less crazy, a little less demanding, a little more merciful and cutting slack and looking to the things that matter in this woman and so joyful to be able to even have the challenge and, and to be putting her first, right? And for her, she changed too. She became even more perfect than she already was. <laughs> I practiced that line. Because why? Because I have a whole sermon on this. <laughs> That's what's important, guys. Look at me. Look at me. Do not wait until the car accident and someone can't move half of their body. Do not wait until what's this? Oh, it's a lump. Oh, I'll go check it out. Do not wait for that. 
Let this experience sit on you and realize, what are you doing? These are the sweetest days of your life and you're ruining it by being me-centered. Each of you, take that command. Take it to heart. Unconditionally, I don't care. I'm going to submit as unto the Lord. I'm going to reverence him no matter what. And I'm going to love her in a sacrificial way. Every day, every opportunity is God gives me grace. The two commandments, we're going to keep them for the sake of God, for the sake of the marriage, for the sake of one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words, and we get all fired up with our emotions, God, and, and that's good, Lord, but we just pray that the Holy Spirit would cement some of these things just forever, that they'd always be available 30 years from now, that we'll just pull up one of these truths and put it into practice, Lord, uh, to bring blessing and honor to our marriages, to the people we love you called us to care for. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.